2: Hello. Oh, wow. Okay, Stephanie, on now. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the Racket Magazine live first ever live podcast recording. Very exciting. And it's in London, which is nice. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm British, so I'm neither one of the hosts. So uh, my name is Ro. And very kindly, Caitlin just said, please take the mic for a few minutes and tell people what you do, because that's that's the kind of woman she is. So I um, I run a women's sport platform called Slow, which is actually, for super tennis history nerds, is named after a tennis player, Lucy Diggs Slow. Don't know if anyone knows her? Anyone? No. She's, she's little known, but worth researching. Um, so that is... Uh, why I called slow slow because she her story really resonated with me and she she was the first uh, African American woman to win a major sports title in the U.S. and her story really resonated because she she had a whole other career in education and tennis was just her side thing and I started slow a hundred years after this and I thought wow how much has actually changed in a hundred years not that much a lot of female athletes still do that and still have full-time jobs and so that's that's what I started I started to try and kind of change change this kind of scene of women's sport media coverage and really produce something that I wanted to see um, really produced like women's sports coverage that I wanted to read and see um, so you can find us online and we do a monthly uh, radio show and really the the very tenuous link here, is that um, I think for me being able to just chat to you guys very briefly is a really nice thing because I think a lot on the podcast there's been a lot of chat about how um, and most recently Billy Jean King was talking about kind of lifting up younger athletes and lifting up you know making space for the new gen and um, and for me that's kind of what these independent Publications and independent people are doing. They're kind of making space, making the space that they want to see. So um, yeah, I feel really lucky to tell you guys about what I'm doing. And I've been here all day, I've been screening the Women's World Cup upstairs. So Ace Hotel have been like a very sweet. Uh, kind of host to us all day, all sorts of women's sports stuff going on, but um, yeah, I will let you guys get to the main event, what we're all here for, so uh, love to welcome to the stage Renee Stubbs and Caitlin Thompson. Thank you, Ro.
3: Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for um, joining us on a Sunday in East London. Uh, How many of you guys are here for the tennis? I heard some American accents, so thank you. I know this is um, not... Close to Southwest 19. Am I correct in assuming that? So it's thank an, you. It's an hour. I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're we're thrilled we're here. You're here. Um, we have some smaller tokens of our appreciation for you guys being in the audience. And then t- to end the night, we'll give you some more meaningful tokens of our appreciation. But you have to earn them, and we haven't quite decided how you're going to do that. But trust us, it's yeah.
4: Be th- if you listen to our podcast, <laughs> you realize that we do a lot of things um, on the fly. Uh-huh. So, uh, but but I did. Decide that I was going to give something pretty cool to uh, six members of our audience. Six this members. Evening. So clear. Just a preview of that. Clear your schedule for tomorrow. Um, that's all I'll say. But oh, it doesn't have to be tomorrow. It's when they want to go. Oh, really? Well, tomorrow or Tuesday. I'm gonna. Let's be honest. <laughs> Maybe Wednesday, but uh, depends on what kind of job you need. Anyway. Okay,
3: well, we'll make it work and we'll make it happen. And six of you guys will be lucky. And before that, let me count how many items of merch we have because I'm going to throw some things at you guys. I've got a tote. I've got some tees. Um, I think you can all tell that these t shirts look fucking amazing. <laughs> right? Totes. Totes. Um, <laughs> and not a tote. Oh, boy. I mean, totally. Jesus, get me off the stage anyway. Um, uh, so we have, how many would we have? Four? We have four. Three totes and t- tees. Uh, and we're going to start with some tennis trivia. How many of you guys are, would say you're sort of like die hard? Die-hard tennis fans. I know there's some of you guys. Yes. All right. Usually Thank the ones you. in the front. There you, you def- go. Yes, a
1: front.
4: The ones <laughs> um, in the back are here for the drinks.
3: Drinks. How many just just drinks? Yeah. yeah okay, yeah, great. Yeah, there yeah. we go. There we um, go. And so everyone else is sort of like tennis adjacent, tennis open, tennis sexual, but tennis curious.
4: It's kind of like the LGBTQ plus movement. It just keeps every single letter starting to be added to like <laughs> LGBTQ, P, X, I, y, C, you I, G, know. G, B, C.
3: Whatever. You're all welcome here. Um, okay, so we're going to start with some trivia, and I'm going to try to throw them at you, so get ready. you going to
4: throw the T-shirt or the question?
3: You're going to throw the question. I'm going to throw the tease, oh, okay. Uh, for people who shout out things. I can't see where
4: you're pointing at. Yes, just you. Oh, okay, wow. <laughs> First you. Okay. Wow, okay, okay. Uh, this uh, might be kind of hard, but we're going to start with an well, easy one. Are we going We going with the easy one? Yeah, okay. just to get everyone excited. Um, who uh, played, he's playing mixed doubles with... Francis Tiafo. Oh, Fuck Jesus. Me. Jesus. All right. Let's make this. We didn't bring this. enough prizes. I'm going right, to say fine. it
3: was over here, so maybe she right, just throw it. Wait, should go, we be a
4: little bit harder? Just No, this is... this. What, it, was, it was Venus, Venus Williams. Williams. Yes,
3: yes, yes. Green? Right. Black? I don't even know who I'm throwing this to. Get excited. It's a...
4: It depends. Extra on, small. No, actually, it depends hard. on the size of you. <laughs> there you go. Empty chair. Great. Off to a great okay, start. Sure. Awesome. Should we go with the hashtag? Uh,
3: hashtag? Oh, okay. okay. So if no, that's you... the ha- that has to be the last one for reasons I'll explain.
4: Oh wow! Skip that one. Wow, that's abusive. I just I'm, I'm telling
3: you. I just you have to be direct with
4: you. Okay, you you, you throw out a question.
3: Um. Okay. Who? Mm, where did Nick Curios attempt to peg? Kind of salty prissy Rafael Nadal chest. Yes. Oh, that was quick.
4: That was oh, really was quick. quick. Good. All right, get it in there. I,
3: I like the confidence with with just. And okay, I got good, it. Yes. Good. Okay. Good. Uh, two more. Two two more prizes with an extra bonus prize. Um, I don't know. What Come do on. What do we discuss? Oh oh oh. Um, the highest rated. Oh yes. Tennis match, which we're going to talk a lot about tonight, because those of you who will be lucky enough to go to Wimbledon tomorrow will see her. Um, what is the highest rated you match? You said
4: her, but it's not.
3: It is her, because you're saying Australia, but I'm saying of all global media. Oh, well, go ahead. Whose match, I'm looking for one name, and you'll know what I mean in a second, whose match was the highest rated of all of the Fortnite thus far? Yes, I'm going to give it to you, because I think you answered it. Okay, lastly, tote bag. Okay, this is a great trivia question. By what time on day one
4: do Wimbledon's bars
3: break even?
4: Oh, this is a good one. If you know this, I, there's no way you know this. Five. Five o'clock. Five f-
3: p.m. day one. Wimbledon's bars have broken even.
4: That's unreal. For the entire
3: fortnight of the tournament. Yeah. And if you've been to Wimbledon, you'll see why Pim's Cups by 12 p.m. Champagne. There's some lady in Louboutins who's passed out in the bathroom. It's pretty cool.
4: It's pretty, light. it's pretty much like for Americans out there, it's like Kentucky Derby yeah. every single day after 5 p.m. at Wimbledon, particularly in the Pimms uh, tents. So- also, Pims
3: is disgusting. Sorry, guys, but... Whew. I mean, am I wrong?
4: Not after the third one. <laughs> you
3: don't even taste
4: them anymore. Just so smooth going down.
3: Okay, this is a very deep insider. How many of you guys have listened to our podcast before or just like our friends who we've
4: pressured oh, into we here? Oh, we love you, you guys. Thank you so much. Um, thank you.
3: So, deep cut... Whoever answers this question wins the shirt off my back. The oh. shirt off
4: my back. Just, just, a, just for... All right. I'm going to preface this by saying, Caitlin has an underarm sweating problem, okay? so It's
3: mostly my back, but okay.
4: Take it home and wash it first, okay?
3: Definitely wash it. Um, all right. On the back of our matching T-shirts is a phrase that we are trying to launch as a movement to make men empathize with what female, I mean females of all stripes, but female athletes go through when they get their periods when they are playing sports. Do you know what that phrase
4: is? Oh my God, we love you guys. Dick kicks. Right, there you go. Should I model it? Dick kicks. There we go. We're going to hashtag dick kicks. Dick kicks. No, <laughs> no, no. Well, that's true. Um, that's but also true. No. We, we really want men to understand that what women go through on a monthly basis is quite intense and awful, and the only way for men to really understand that is if you go at their own anatomy. So we decided to hashtag Dick Kicks, um, so men would truly understand. So therefore, you're getting this T-shirt that you're going to have to wash. Fit.
3: It's a women's extra small.
4: Okay. So. Yeah.
3: Okay. Cool. Maybe you can just shred it and wear it as like a muscle tee. It needs
4: to be on a woman anyway, just an <laughs> FYI, with that on the back.
3: Oh <laughs> no, I would appreciate a man wearing it. Too, I? Maybe you'll just have to report back about what kind of feedback you get from this shirt. <laughs> um, we're also going to be taking some questions from the audience. Um, Mark, where are you, Mark? Mark, our trusty Australian stalwart uh, tennis partner I'm going to be playing with tomorrow morning if I don't get too drunk, um, has offered to sort of filter questions. Uh, so he'll be, I might be handing the microphone, but uh, think of obviously topics you would like to ask. Um, we're going to start off with Cocoa Golf.
4: Yeah, I mean, we want to talk a little bit about the first week in Wimbledon because we're here, and uh, I'm sure all of you, or most of you, is certainly watching the tennis. Um, and so, I guess Caitlin, we want to talk a little bit about Coco Gauff and the intensity that we've seen. I'm working for ESPN here, and I can tell you, as an uh, working for an American broadcaster, the um, the the anticipation of her matches the. Every single day in a production, all we can do is talk more and more and more about Coco Goff, which also brings into the subject of you know, age eligibility. Is she going to be continuing to be able to play? Where is she going to be able to play now that her ranking's going up? Because she's 15 years of age, she's only going to be able to play a certain amount of events. And the reason for that is because of what we're seeing the amount of press, the, the cameras. I mean, her parents are, literally every time I turn around, they're doing an interview. It's unbelievable. And they're the yeah. nicest people in the world.
3: Um, well, and also that kind of greasy scumbag, Patrick Martoglu, is, has, I mean, he's a good coach, though, no? I mean, but he's kind of really attached himself to this whole train ride. Am I wrong? I mean, you, these are my words, not yours, because you can get fired, and I can't. But don't you, what do you think about his sort of opportunistic, you know, presence in her box? And Well, and,
4: he's a great um, advertiser for his, uh, has his academy. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't spend a ton of time there. She spends a lot of time, really, in Florida. Um, But, you know, having said that, he kind of attached himself to her and he's really made her believe in herself. And, you know, when you grow up as... Coco Goff and your idols are Venus and Serena, and you get attached to Serena's coach and yeah. his entourages and his training facilities. Of course, it's going to make a difference for her to be thinking that she can live in that world. Yeah. But one of the things I want you guys to look at. So on, you think that's a good thing? Like the I think it's a good thing. The um, The most important thing for any kid of that age of or any kind of, you know, I mean, she's going to be a superstar. She is so good at what she does as a Two tennis player. slams,
3: five slams. Um, eight slams? calm down. I'm pretty calm I mean, calm I mean calm like down three or four
4: gens, but, but you know she did say she wanted to be the greatest player of all time Wow. I mean yeah. that means you have to win 24 grand slams 25 I don't think that's going to happen I mean I, I hope it does because that means we're going to have a superstar for 20 plus years yeah um, you know I did bump into an unnamed player uh, who said wow I couldn't believe she said that because that's just never going to happen so you know there, the, some players of that age are going to say things like that are going to you know, let's face it, piss a lot of really good players off. But at the same time, you have to have that bel- belief in yourself to be that good. I mean, Venus and Serena both said they wanted to be number one in the world when they were the same, they were. younger, when they were 10. Yeah. Um, so if you don't say that, you're not putting it out there.
3: Let me take a controversial, it's not an anti-Coco Goff statement before anybody gasps, but one thing that I always sort of get troubled by and I also feel is a little bit... Um, it makes me anxious, is just the idea of anointing uh, a prodigy. Tennis in particular, because of the age rules, and we should probably talk a little bit about what those are and why, but tennis has had a dicey history with young champions coming out in their teens, um, and a lot of them have sort of spiraled into super self-destructive places, or they've achieved a great height early on. I'm thinking of Tracy Austin or Andrea Andrea Yeager. And then... So you know, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you get a Jennifer Capriati who kind of embodies a little bit of everything. She was fourteen, yeah, when she made her first Superstar. Grand Slam. She actually, semi-
4: I think, believe uh, believe made the quarterfinals here. Yeah, younger than Coco.
3: Yeah, she was fourteen, I think.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then
3: you know, she was nose ring. I like a nose ring, but she was busted for shoplifting, stoned in. Yeah, Florida. I mean,
4: listen, her life sort of spiraled, um, yeah. you know, and then the shoulder surgery took her out of the game. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, those are the people that you think about that we need to protect, and she is certainly someone that we need to protect. I cannot imagine growing up as a superstar now, and she's become a superstar, let's face it, in, yeah. in the matter of five days. But I can't imagine being a superstar in the day and age of social media now. I mean, there's something on her on Instagram today, and she talks about all the people that have written to her, Beyonce. You know, the list is endless. Um, All you had to say was Beyonce. Yeah, well, that's that's why I went with it. I (laughs) went with the queen first up. Right. But, you know, I mean, can you imagine, like, you're 15 years of age and being able to refocus back on actually playing tennis and not get carried away in this limelight of, you know, look who knows me and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't know how you do that. You have to be surrounded by such great, amazing people that literally, like, ground you. Well, let me ask you a question, because even though I was not a very good tennis player,
3: I was already, like, spending my millions planning my sort of, you know... Mans and Yacht. So you were... What At what point did you realize you were good? And then did you have anybody around you being like, calm the fuck down, keep your head down, do the work? Was that something that you
4: experienced? or No, were, people were telling me, fucking get your ass into gear. Like, yeah. practice harder with me. I mean, in my singles. Yeah. So... I mean, I don't know. There, there are times, though, that you do have to. It, the most important thing is to manage your emotions, and it's really, really difficult. Which is why you see players when they win, like Roger or whomever. I mean, they're so normal when they you know, they get a little bit excited after matches. But when they win a when they finally win a slam, they cry. They, you know, there's that, just that blubbering mess of a human being on the court because they're finally, after two weeks, allowed. They're allowing themselves to actually feel. I know that sounds weird, but yeah, I always kind of figured it was pretend. N- no, it's it's the mo- it's the one moment. I, I always say this: if you ever look at you know tennis players when they win a slam or whatever it is in singles or doubles and. It's the one moment of your life that you cannot control your body movement. Yeah. You know, no matter how much you're like, if I win, I'm going to do this. No, you don't. You don't pra- I never practice. Like, if I win, I'm going I'm to put my hand up and I'm going to throw my leg out. And it, no. It, okay, you know, okay, okay. None but of that. It's just one it, that spontaneous. Exception. Which, oh. <laughs> but that's different. He can't control the moment that he wins. I'm talking about the moment that wins. He can that that, control this. Well... And he
3: should. Novak Djokovic, (laughs) everyone knows who we're talking about. Correct.
4: Well, the after celebrating is something that is completely choreographed. You get to decide. I mean, Ash Barty, I think, is the greatest. (laughs) She literally walks out on the court and she's just like, claps her racket like, yep, thanks, bye. But that's her personality. She doesn't want to be this person that's like kissing to... I mean, the kissing to the four corners of the court drives me... Bonkers because Maria did it to start, okay? so Wait,
3: Andre Agassi
4: did it to start. Well, but Andre is wrong? Andre. Like, you know, the people love it. But, the, that's the but same don't thing. follow him. Don't follow him. Oh, so you're saying it's, it's... It is the guy. It was his thing. Yeah. Okay. Don't follow him. You know, go out, be blah, blah, blah. But there are two or three women's players that do the almost the exact same thing. And I'm like... Can yes. I see a
3: pantomime? No names named? And maybe if somebody guesses them... <laughs> it's so
4: obvious <laughs> I mean come on it's so easy can I say who it is? yeah we have Venus Williams no Venus oh. wait this is Venus I mean Venus just does it no one does a twirl like V and that's yeah, it yeah clearly yeah well I don't want to kick my drink over I mean it's only water um, no Venus just does the twirl no one does that's the a twirl, twirl like V uh, other than Serena
3: Really does one twirl. Maria
4: does the kiss to all four corners. Wozniaki all four Ugh, corners. She the face. I mean, I, listen, I'm friends with Cara, so she's going to hate me for me saying that. But it's true. I'm like, come on. Like, why? Anyway, we're totally getting off the subject of Wimbledon here.
3: We are, but we started with Coco Gauff, a prodigy. And just to move, before we move on, the idea of a prodigy. My parents are classical musicians and one of the things that sort of frequently comes up is these oh can you believe this like pro player who's coming out of you know Taipei who's already memorized shostakovich and it's like yeah but they technical proficiency at an early age doesn't necessarily connote, you know, emotional maturity. And my parents, who are, you know, they they're their own people, but they. <laughs>
4: that is not how you describe them to me. Well,
3: okay. give me a couple more of those, and we'll have a different sort of psychotherapy podcast experience. But my sort of, I think How they're... much do
4: you spend on therapy?
3: A lot, one hundred and eighty dollars a week. Okay, is that a lot? But you have insurance, so go on. Yeah, here. true. Um, my parents would sort of say something like, you know, just because you can play the notes doesn't mean you can feel them and sort of express them with emotion. And I don't know if that's a good corollary for athletics, but you know, it does strike no. me that you, you, do, you don't necessarily know how amazing what you're doing is, and that, therefore that allows you to do it, but it also maybe makes it less meaningful. Is that, is that
4: my own no, mess of a you're psyche? too smart for me. I can't uh, even get into this. You like, don't even know what my question no, is? No, you go out in the court, you see the ball, you hit the ball, you oh, run. Okay. You know? Okay. I mean, she comes from a stock of athletes. True. You know, her yeah. mom was ath- a track athlete. Her dad was a basketball player. Yeah. But I did say this the other day on ESPN. I said, there is no way, no way... That Coco Gauff would be playing tennis if it wasn't for Venus and Serena Williams. Zero chance that she plays. But do you she, think
3: that's just because they're American role models? I mean, yes, do you think it's a racial because her
4: parents saw v- Serena and Venus playing tennis and said, "This would be a great sport for my yeah. kid to play. You can make money. You can." make a life for yourself you, can you can get out of you know any kind of socioeconomic problem if you're yeah. good you know you become a track athlete which is what her mom was or a WNBA player in the US and be a basketball player you can get a scholarship yeah. for sure to you college for education but that's it's not necessarily going to set you up for life so right. if it was not for Venus and Serena this phenom at 15 years of age would not be doing what she did which is why I just you guys saw the match against Venus and if you didn't go to the replay but she, when she shakes hands with Venus, I just, I that moment where she literally, and you know, v is a presence. Okay, she's a presence, and when you go and shake her hand, it's not like you want to piss her off, but to actually <laughs> grab her hand and pull her towards her and say, "I just want you to know, you are the reason I'm doing this." So, I mean, she took the opportunity to actually say that to yeah. her at that moment. You know, Venus doesn't want to get into a conversation there like, oh, you're so cute. No, yeah. she wants to, like, kill her at that moment. Yeah. But there was that moment where you did see Venus turn into this, you know, amazing, you know, hero. Ambassador, maybe? Ambassador, yeah. older sister, mother. Mentor. Mentor yeah. moment where she, she kind of stops herself for a second and she smiled at Corey and she just kind of took it upon herself to be like wow, like, yeah, cool. You know, she yeah. smiled. And it was a really, for me, it was a really beautiful moment in the passing of the torch of these, of this, you know, young generation of black um, tennis players um, that come from the United States. So yeah. it was a really amazing well, I moment. I
3: think, you know, like Ro was saying, which is why I asked to sort of, you know, uh, introduce us and sort of tie our worlds together. You know, it's about making space and creating visibility, which is why, you know, as a person of color, as a woman, you know, et cetera, you know, it's, it's important to see it so you can be it.
4: And she's the third generation of black, young American players. You yeah. know, you think about Madison Keys and sure. Sloane Stevens, and now we're getting the next generation of 15. I mean, Sloane and Madison are in their mid-20s, and yeah. now you're getting these 15, 15-year-olds that are coming along. So, you know, I, I really... It's not, it's very difficult for Venus and Serena to look at it that way because they, they want to still compete and they want to still win. Yeah. But their legacy is completely, you know, cemented yeah, it's rock in... Solid cemented in gold with what we're seeing particularly in american tennis
3: let's talk about legacy a little bit how many people in this audience are english Uh, i don't want to use the wrong terminology Uh, british british (laughs) British.
4: okay yeah okay great um are you it's british? all right it's all right i mean at one point i was okay, part great. of you guys I didn't want to too quibble,
3: but you didn't sound that british so i was just like okay maybe oh. if i'd said english she would have said yes um, she's canadian I'm kidding. yeah uh, <laughs> one of the most exciting things how many of you guys watched at all at all andy and serena yeah amazing right i mean what an incredible moment i had tears in my eyes she literally did. the whole moment she I, texted me three cryer.
4: times that she was crying watching the match i'm like you need to get a life my it's all the therapy. It's all the therapy.
3: Just <laughs> <She laughs> really cry. in touch with We
4: were my watching emotions. a movie the other day, and I and I'm a crier. Like I watch movies and anything sort of like meaningful. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm right there on a plane, like embarrassing myself with my, mm-hmm. hand, you know, <laughs> but this one cries at like everything. I was like, wow, you really have a problem. I think I'm just in touch with
3: my emotions, you dick. Hmm. All right. (laughs) Yeah, for you guys, I think this is a shtick. I have been sleeping on Renee's couch in Wimbledon, (laughs) because it's really hard to get to Wimbledon, and we watched a documentary called Knock Down the House. Have any of you guys seen that? It's about the female lawmakers inspired to run after Trump's election, and the one who breaks through out of four is Alexandria uh, AOC.
4: She's a badass, but Yeah, and,
3: you know, I'm bawling from minute one, which, you know, come on.
4: Um, Actually, but Andy, Kate wants her wife to run for the mayor of New York. But anyway, that's a yeah, whole different story. Yeah, but should. I just want to say something about Andy and Serena. So walking the... I'm always on the grounds very early. Um, and I was walking to the media area. And I see Andy Murray come walking in, kind of shuffling in to the courts. No, Is no one's around. No, it's just how he walks. And he's shuffling in and he's got... Looks like might have been pajama pants, but I think they might be, were track pants. And then he definitely had his Uggs on. He had Uggs slippers on. Oh, that's embarrassing. And I'm like, and I'm like, he's coming in, and I'm like, what are you doing? Are you seriously <laughs> in you your? What are those? I go, are you in slippers? That's <laughs> where my exact. I go, those slippers. He goes, yeah. He goes, I go, what are you doing? He's he like, I gotta go sign in for mixed. I was like, "That's amazing!" Because every one of the doubles, one of the mixed doubles players has to sign in. You can't have your your coach do it. One of the players actually has to physically go and sign in. So I said, "Well, we just found out what totem pole you're on, which is the bottom in this group. Your ass is out of the house going to sign in." Yeah, and he's he the did. beta.
3: He's the he, beta. I mean, nobody's yeah, surprised. By he that. said,
4: "I'm going to go sign in and then I go back and play with my kids." Because it was early. It was like uh, maybe nine, eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. No one's around. But it was so. I mean, the irony that I happened to bump into him, which was fair. Tested. That's amazing. Because he knows I'm going to tell the whole world, and which I did twice. I've told it now in here, and, and I now, told it on ESPN. The third time here. <laughs>
3: yeah. um, I am uh, – oh, hello. Oh. I'm an Andy Murray fan for a number of reasons, but his support of female athletes, his support of equality, yep. he was famously asked, Andy, what does it feel like to be the first tennis player to win two gold medals? And what did he say? Oh, boy. I believe the Williams sisters did it first. And yeah, you're just sorry. like, I was having a drink. drink. I've
4: had two drinks. Like, come on.
3: Yeah, and just, you know, the the com- quick command of including women in his mind space is just so inspiring and amazing. And, you know, Serena famously said when faced with the news of Andy's potential retirement, you know, obviously he's had his hip resurfaced, it's unclear if he's going to come back to playing singles, but at least we have him in doubles, which is amazing. Australia did not look like he was even going to come back. No. You know, and so everyone was sort of doing the retirement tour you know, kind of um, obituaries about Andy's career. (laughs) I'm just, honestly, you know, what does it feel like to lose Andy Murray? And,
4: you know. It was hard. I mean, um, listen, I know him personally. Uh, You know, we've had Judy Murray on the uh, podcast, who was fantastic. And I love Judy. And the reason both Jamie and Andy, uh, because I don't want to forget about Jamie, but... That the, they are the way they are is because of the way they've been raised and they are truly just two of the nicest oh, Andy's my favorite uh, honestly I mean I love Roger he walks by always says so low he's always so gracious Rafa as well but Andy was always the guy that always had a, uh, is he
1: though? he just Rafa? Scared. yeah he seems always says like low like... he always Renee.
4: you know with the eye you know gives Can you me do kiss. a physical impression of, of the I didn't realize you're such a gifted
3: com- physical comedian until tonight no you can't do like a, My just a, like
4: a butt pick or something? No. Well, no, I'm wearing a thong, so I can't get in Gross. it. Gross. So. Well, I, mean, I just want I'm you to know. I asked. I'm sorry I Yeah, asked. well, you asked. Um, no, listen, <laughs> Rafa is a great guy. He's very sweet. He's very kind. He's nice to everybody. But Andy's the funniest of them all. I mean, he's yeah. just, he's kind. He's funny. He's self-deprecating. Um, you know, he's a bit of a nightmare on the court, but that's his personality. I mean, yeah, I can just deal just with a that. a thinker. I all was right. a nightmare on the court, I'm going to hand the microphone to Mark, who
3: I know has a question um, I'm going to also solicit one or two more questions from the audience before we keep going because we have a few more topics we're going want to get to, but I want to make sure our episodes where we have sort of question and answers are our most popular. I don't know why. Maybe just people want to feel included. Here, <laughs> here's the place. Um, Mark, I believe you had a question. Mark from Australia, everybody.
2: Am I, am I, do I have to ask a question
0: first, or do I get it from the audience? Oh, Okay. Can I do the dating app question
4: or oh, go ahead. Yeah. That sounds so, interesting.
0: Um I hear that professional athletes have their own dating app. Do you want to explain that a
4: bit more? Their dating app? No. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have their own dating app. But there is a dating app called Raya. So I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that, but has anyone heard of Raya? Oh, it's a couple huh? are you on Raya? <laughs> oh yeah, bullshit. Um, so, Raya is like the Soho house of dating apps. So, you know, if you want to get into the Soho house, for example, you have to have people that allow you, they nominate you, and whatever. It's a bit wanky, but, you know, um, you've got to be arty and you've got to have a certain amount of Instagram followers, and et cetera, et cetera. And so, mm-hmm. there are a number of tennis players on Raya.
3: Last year, this time last year, we were in Wimbledon Village with our fashion correspondent, Andrea Pekovic, who at the time was
4: single. Yes. Do <laughs>
3: you don't like? You don't even know where this. Well, I had is going? to think about that. I was no, she like, was.
4: What and month was that?
3: Yeah, no, she was single, and she <laughs> turned on Raya, and it turns out um, the profiles you can set it to location based sort of <laughs> searching, and so I will. I think it's worth a, a grounds pass to Wimbledon, if anyone oh. can guess one of the. Ooh.
4: Okay, one ground. Two, two, okay, two grounds passes for you and a friend.
3: Wow! Right. Um, courtesy of Steffi Graff Are these Steffi Graf's? No, it's courtesy
4: of me. All right. Okay. Okay.
3: <laughs> courtesy of my might be
4: Steffi's booklet of tickets. All right.
3: Um, you will get to touch paper that Steffi Graf has also touched, and incidentally, Renee Steps. Um If you guess one of the four tennis players that were on Raya last year, looking for hookups in Wimbledon Village. Not curious. Not curious. Fonini, he's married. Nah, yeah, but yeah, but Fonini. He's yeah, married to Flavia, who will. She him. should be a little more active in this. He's such a piece of work. No. Fabio Fonini, he told everyone that Wimbledon should be bombed yesterday. Well, that's, uh,
4: but that's different to. Cheating on your wife.
3: Also, he called an umpire at the U.S. Open a cocksucker whore and got kicked out. I think is that the only time an active singles tournament entrant has been kicked out of a Grand Slam for dumb shit they've said to an umpire?
4: I don't know. I'd have to look it <laughs> I'm up. I'm not an
3: expert, but I'm pretty sure that's up there. It wasn't good. He wasn't. It good. wasn't great. Okay, so but great. No. Great so guess. No. Okay, so um, two men and two women. I know it's very obscure, but go with us because it's probably going to be worth description. Anybody? <laughs> Other? Not Not, not... Eugenie Bouchard was one of them. Ah, uh, G. two G. tickets to Wimbledon for two you. Two tickets for you. You better come up and get hey. them, just so we don't forget. Because I feel like everyone will be like, "Ah, oh, that go is on so pathetic." That
4: that's the criteria to get into Wimbledon. Who's on Raya? Uh, but great anyway. guess. What's your name? <laughs> All right, Riley, Riley. Well done. I'll get your. N- I'll get your name and we'll number. We'll just remember. Later. <laughs> we'll get
3: your name and number. All right, good um, job. Uh, so to be clear, Raya. From what I've seen, I am a happily married mother of a five-year-old. But from what I've seen, you cannot take a screen grab of Raya. Your phone is stable. They give
4: you a warning. It's real serious, this thing.
3: They kick you off if you, if you so I've heard, um, break any of the rules. And instead of writing anything about yourself...
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
3: If your interests, your hobbies, your sign, it's just a photo. One photo that you've... Uh, no, ma- no, no. You've got you, a whole,
4: like, story, music, the You pick a... Feet. What you
3: see is a song and a, and a story. Uh, a song and a picture. So Eugenie's was... Pictures. Sure. Eugenie's was, you know... Uh, and... Uh, what f- is that? You know what that is. Everybody what you, knows what that what is. What are
4: you smoking a... Yeah, yeah.
3: Belly dancing. You know, it's like she's in a bikini. Um, and I think they follow was, her
4: on Instagram. They know you what know, they're getting.
3: Right. So it's about what you'd expect. Um, there was one American man. No. Oh. He, Jack Sock.
4: He had... Are we giving tickets? No. No. Okay. Oh, sorry. Oh, my bad. I'll think about it.
3: <laughs> maybe, for the, maybe for the most obscure last one that we're going to save. So Jack Sock's on there like this.
4: Caitlin, just so everybody out there on Podcast World, is showing some sort of it's white like gang sign mark. white gang sign, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Like, that's embarrassing for everyone. Okay. Um, and his song was Drake. I think it was, like, started from the bottom. And you're just yeah. like, oh, this guy, come on. Yeah. Uh, Jack's Hawk. Um, I'll skip to the end. The most obscure but amazing one was a Canadian looking forlorn... Pensive. This is definitely for Wimbledon's grounds passes because it's very, it's going to be hard to guess. Um, And his song uh, sort of pensive outside of a balcony on sort of a European street. (laughs) And his song was Lady in Red. (laughs) (laughs) Brownich. Who guessed that? (laughs) Please come up because that is the silliest, saddest, most insane thing to guess. You just kind of feel for him. You're like, I hope he gets a date because that's (laughs) That's, he's That's, lonely, he's lonely, and he's a Canadian, and he's, I don't know, he just, K- Caitlin
4: feels sorry for him, because she's I do, Canadian. he's too
3: earnest for this world, clearly, uh, because he's got later. So, are we doing two tickets? Yes. two tickets. Oh, who ever, there I we go. I can't see two who gets that. Oh. oh. Well, can you guys go together? All right. Can you? Does that split families and break hearts? No, I can do
4: six. It's fine. Two, two, two. Give me your names, And
3: Brian. You've got two, and are the gentleman whose go. name I forget. Tickets to Wimbledon. Wow. Okay. Um, should we take one more audience question, or should no, we No, we've
4: got no more tickets left. No, no. I'm just saying, but people ah, can ask okay, questions. Okay. 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 Right. One more. One more. Anyone got a question? Don't be shy. Ask whatever you listen to our podcast. There's a lot of bullshit that goes on. <clears throat> I have a question.
3: Um, Title Nine. People over here don't appreciate what it is, and it may be worth explaining it because what effect has it had? Um, The parents of both Madison Keys and Coco Gauff, both parents were collegiate, American collegiate athletes, where the mothers were serious athletes, Mm -hmm. and I have a feeling Title IX has played a role, you know, most of these tennis players have not gone to college, so it's not that necessarily. But they're being raised by mothers that were athletes.
4: I'll leave that one to Caitlin because she's the smart one. I'm, I'm just kidding. It's because she's a Title IX baby, actually. I
3: am. Uh, great question. So and, I was... oh, wait, wait,
4: wait. When we interviewed Billy, I just need you to know that literally as she is talking about this, again, crying. With Billie Jean. I'm like looking at her like, are you kidding me right now? And Billie, of course, is like... It's
3: only the most important female uh, I know. So uh, go on. symbol and ambassador. Yeah. I did get weepy. Um, I know. So, no, can- it was great. So Title IX, thank you, great question, is, um, is a law that was passed in the 70s that guarantees equal spending on men's and women's sports in all schools, but the most um, sort of notable... Manifestation of that is equal spending in men's and women's athletics because prior to that, women basically had no um, representation in uh, sports budgets whatsoever. And anything, anybody who knows anything about sports in America knows that the main sports that are funded by collegiate athletics and paid for by you know very lucrative broadcast rights are football, American football, and basketball. And American football has about 100 people per team. So to achieve parity in spending, you need to fund a whole lot of women's sports. Um, and so, all of a sudden, in the 70s and 80s, there was a whole class of people—women—really, um, excuse me, engendered softball teams, soccer teams, um, tennis teams, volleyball teams, basketball teams through this law. And interestingly, Title IX has also sort of morphed. And Renee's friend and presidential candidate Kirsten Gillibrand um, is actually very um, on the forefront of this, uh, using Title IX to. As a camp to prevent campus sexual assault because, again, it's a way to sort of prosecute and safeguard um, the equality of women as human beings who knew that that was important uh, um, on campuses, and so it's a law that has been stretched to really sort of fill a lot of gaps in our society. So instead of just treating women equally, we have thankfully codification um, largely in part to Billie Jean King and the original nine who also founded the women's tennis tour when Jack Kramer don't celebrate Jack Kramer and those beautiful old Wilson rackets because he was the one notably who kept them out of the tour and told them they could keep making $20 uh, per appearance I'm exaggerating but something along those lines instead of being paid something close to what they were worth Billie Jean and the original nine broke off created the women's tour she testified in front of Congress and title nine became a thing the last thing I'll say about it, other than being a personal beneficiary, having had parents who didn't really know to save money for college, so I...
4: <laughs> Hence, back to the therapy. <laughs> yeah. There they we were go.
3: like, you want to go to college? Uh, what? Um, so I got a tennis scholarship and studied journalism, and it was obviously sort of a, change, a huge change maker in my life personally, which is why I feel so sort of impassioned by it, but...
4: One of the Don't start crying. Don't. I was thinking about Don't. it. I tell. No, could I you can tell. Little... I know you ah. so well. <laughs>
3: uh, one of the things that I think um, is super interesting about Title IX is we did a story in the magazine last year about um, the super senior tour. These are people around the world who play competitively in the age divisions of 60, 70, 80, and there are even a few entrants who play in the 90s. And the story we did focused on the women um, instead of the men just because there's fewer of them and you can kind of get to know some of the characters. And the most interesting detail from that story was the difference between the 50s and 60s. As a matter of fact, there was a single year that separated the levels and the abilities of these women and how seriously they had sort of trained and been taught in, in this case, tennis, but uh, sports generally. And it was the year that Title IX was passed. There was a huge jump in skill level because for the first time, women were having access to real coaches, real equipment, real locker rooms. And it was profound. And all of the women knew about it and talked about it. And they even referred to themselves as like, yeah, but she was a Title IX kid. So like, look how good she is. She's winning this tournament. And so it was just sort of, You know, activism and action in a way that was really sort of both for me personal, but also sort of it was, you know, born out in what you could see. And so for me, telling the story of Title IX, meeting Billie Jean, crying, kind of, Renee,
4: weeping. Weeping. It wasn't weeping. It was weeping.
3: It was... Uh, I, I want to thank you weeping. so much for... I had to pull you together. She was like, get your shit out of your ass and ask the question. Yeah. Um, but basically she told me to buck up and not celebrate her because there was lots of work left to be done. So that was the spirit in which I sort of take that question, so thank you. Um, but also, yeah, like making laws on books is important. So
4: I, don't, I don't know if uh, Title Nine the impact on tennis professionally, I think it's more the WTA founding was uh, really the benefit again again billy was so um prevalent in that and making that happen yeah but um, don't you
3: think coaches and sort of the infrastructure yes
4: it's, it's certainly possible in that respect in, in a broader the in a broader picture and the parents there's no question about that but um yeah i mean we're very lucky that we had someone as amazing as billy jean that stood up and really and one of the things i want to tell you about billy is that you know, if you noticed in uh, the podcast where we did with her, when she, we talked, uh, you know, I, I asked all the stupid questions. And I said, <laughs> well, how, how, well, how did it come about that Elton John wrote the song Philadelphia Freedom was for Billie Jean King? And a lot of people don't know that. But um, when, when he said, I'm going to write a song about you, and let's call it Philadelphia Freedoms because that was the name of her world team tennis team that she was playing on. And she, Billy didn't react like, oh, how cool. I'm so amazing you're writing a song for me. Billy said, what a great gift to give to the people of Philadelphia. You know, and I just, and I, I literally saw her yesterday. And I don't know, we got onto another subject about somebody else yesterday. And I said, you know, Billy, she said, I just wish they would, she would be a little bit kinder with the things that she says, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it was somebody pretty well known. And I said, Billy, that's the difference between you and her is that you are just a genuinely good Human being, and I said, and I told her that story about the Philadelphia Freedoms, and I said, that's when I I knew that about you because I know Billy very well. But I said, it's moments like that that I realized that that's why you are the way you are. It was always the, the game, uh, Title Nine. Uh, women's equality everything about you know lgbtq right everything about billy is for the betterment of everybody else and not herself um so yeah she's our shiro and we she's
3: also her. been known to throw eggs off of the balcony that at wimbledon village
4: yeah but she said she couldn't remember that so i don't know, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yeah, about that but know. it was a good story at the time it was
3: a good story mary Curle told that story i think we had one more question and then i think we have is that true did we you better you better still have your question
4: hopefully still so remember it um I guess
2: Wimbledon has always been, you know, I guess the key sort of a venue where people sort of focus on tennis fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, and yeah. fashion. We need a putt goal. Yeah, yeah I'm kind of gutted talk. that uh, Andrea well, is not here today. She decided
4: um, to go on a vacation, so you can blame her for that, okay? Ah, uh, shame. Um, but I guess um, for,
2: I, I guess if, if your name doesn't start with S in, in, in arena, most of uh, tennis fashion these days doesn't necessarily seem to be that memorable. Um, so I want to know, what do you think tennis, the tennis world can do to create some more, you know, memorable fashion moments?
4: Like Anne White's one-piece one piece suit uh, at Wimbledon? Tiny shorts. Tiny... Oh, I've said that. I want the guys to go back to tiny, tiny shorts, fucking shorts. Gay men, women would love that. Everybody would love it. Their legs are incredible. Felice you Nader like Lopez. to wear tiny shorts? I
3: do. It's a. It's been called vulgar and inappropriate, but yeah. that's, that's you're in my your own. Fred
4: Perry skirt today, Thank though. You. Um,
3: um, Tiny shorts is my answer. I completely agree with you. Tennis fashion is quite boring, and I would like to see anybody really, but especially the men in very, very, very tiny shorts. <laughs> I was at the Fred Perry headquarters two days ago, and they were showing us the original line um, uh, after sort of Fred had sort of passed the torch and it became a fashion brand. And they were like, do you, "This might be a too American a to reference." Daisy Dukes? Does that sound? Yeah, he's Australian. The, we got, we
4: got, we got Dukes of Hazard. Oh, great, come well, I'm just
3: making sure that I'm being open. And you're, you're inviting young. You they were young; they that. were. They look like they would chafe, but I think they, tiny, <coughs> tiny shorts is certainly what I would sort of recommend. And I also feel like you know Wimbledon did not always have the color restrictions that it yeah. does now. It's it got worse and worse and worse. When you look more back, more
4: conservative. But the Pat Cash you know, headband that he wore back in the day and that he's sort of still pumping away with uh, now. <laughs> what
3: is pumping away with Just
4: You know, it's out there. He, he walked into Wimbledon the other day with a backpack on and on the bottom of it was his trademark. He was you know like, what? If you got a hey, signature look, you know. Go, that's what I'm saying. It's fine. But if, <laughs> if in today's day and age that would not be allowed at Wimbledon, that headband yeah. would not be allowed. If you look back at the years of, you know, Boris winning... Talk about I weepy. Yeah. She saw Boris the other day. I took a photo with her and Boris, and we got. I got one photo because I thought it was a great picture already, and I was like, I don't need any more. And then we got this it is in, how the I looked in the car. Yeah. So I just said she was stoned by the end of the night. That's it. That's I basically looked stoned. I was so happy to meet back then No, but there was so much color on the players back in the day. So I don't know where the analness came from with uh, Wimbledon. Because, you know, even it got to the point where your swoosh was too big. There was color on your shoes. It was like, you know, obviously you remember the famous pants that Venus wore that year that was just like, wow, what's going on under the skirt? It's. Didn't you tell me a story about
3: you getting t- d- wearing non-white tennis undies or something like that? Was that a- something I hallucinated? Um, Somebody had to go run back to the locker room because they had a sports bra
4: or some sort of under thing. Yeah, was- even the I don't know if things- it was me, but there was um, even the I always applied are- by the rules, but um no but yeah it, it it just got it got to the point where it got ridiculous it's ridiculous now. Yeah. Um and I see Ashbody has the um little tiny stripes now and I was thinking is that too much you know so yeah it's got I don't know. I mean when it comes to fashion and tennis I'm ready to make some bold pronouncements though on the back of my shorts my calling for short shorts tiny
3: shorts I want to see um a return to more natural fabrics. I think performance wear is boring. I mean that. Like li- like linen and- Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you Have to change have you seeing
4: linen when it sweats?
3: Yeah, I've sweat in linen. I'm a very sweaty like, person. You've already established I that. I have. Yeah, but my point is natural fabric, like the original peak polos, the problem with tennis clothes is you can't wear them off the court and back again. And I think that we should all be embracing a look that's a little bit more, you know, from the streets to the courts to the boudoir. And that, to me, would be...
4: That's why you have your magazine because you can put all that in there. Why don't you write a story about that next next uh, edition?
3: Great uh, This is how I, we get all of our great ideas. Right, for the that's magazine. a
4: great question, but I think that you know, uh, uh, you know, Nike and Adidas and all of them—they're um, always trying to sort of think they're pushing the envelope, but really they don't. So I don't know. I mean. It's crazy. Okay, you do have, have a few players like Venus and et cetera trying to do their own lines as well. We
3: should talk before we go because we have time and two more tickets. Is that true?
4: Oh, no. I already gave them out. because that two? Yeah, that's oh, We have no more prizes. You guys no. might as well leave right now.
3: <laughs> Sorry, we have nothing good luck for you. No, yet. I want to
4: talk a little bit about um, a situation in Australia that happened uh, last week when Ash Barty got put onto uh, an outer court and as world number one, French Open champion. But, you know, you're having to deal with seven-time Wimbledon champion in Serena and the English flavour, like tomorrow Conte's on the court against a two-time champion and Kvitova on centre court and Ash is again on court two. But Australia, uh, Channel 7 decided to show Nick Kyr- Kyrgios' match, his first round against Jordan Thompson over... Ash body. And I do some crosses for Channel 7 still. at Wait, you know. explain what a cross is. So when I'm doing at 10.20 at night, I do a cross to our morning program. So in, a- in the U.S., the Today Show or whatever. And no here big and- deal, just the no, Today whatever. Show. You might so, have heard of it. All right. Uh, anyway, so I do my thing, and it's all been about Ash Barty. Ash Barty, Ash Barty, Ash Barty, Ash body. Can't say it enough. World number one. And in then America, the first we say day. Ash Barty. Ash body. Fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, the first day of play that she goes out into the court and we've have we've been talking about her for three, four days, non-stop. And then Nick Kyrgios was on at the same time. And Channel 7 chose to go with the five-set match with Jordan Thompson, who was another Australian. And there was a lot of people in Australia that were pissed off that, that Ash Body wasn't getting sort of like... She wasn't the one on TV. Her due. Getting her due. Um... Then the numbers came out for Channel 7. On that match in particular, round one, Jordan Thompson, who's not really well-known in Australia, playing against Nick Curios. It's all because it's Nick. It had the most numbers that Channel 7 had from the last year's men's final. So people got up to watch at the crack of crack at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning in Australia. That's just... The crack term, of crack? crack of crack. It's like really early in the morning. Great. I went with it. More people watch Nick Kyrgios's match than the men's final last year at Wimbledon. The men's final. So was also- that's the problem that you face as a producer and a network is that he brings in numbers. And the reason he does is because he's... He's Nick. Quick poll before we go on about Nick Curious, and I think we have time for one more
3: question. And then they're going to kick us out of here. How many of you guys like Nick Curious? But round of sort of applause meter because I can't really see hands. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of in the front. And then how many people are like, geez, that disgraced that's He should be kicked out." Wow. Well, see, oh, okay. This is
4: what we're dealing with. So, <laughs> and we do have this conversation um, at in our production meetings for television when we do talk about Nick, and. Every producer. Wait, just for maybe
3: the uninitiated Nick Curious, 25, uh, bad boy of Australia. He's
4: got a lot of shavings into his eyebrows. He's not as many anymore.
3: I'm into it, but I'm just saying he's known for, you know...
4: And I will say, I will tell you guys, Nick was actually going to come here tonight, but he ended up flying home because he lost his mixed doubles the other day. Nick does those things. He does step out of his comfort zone. He does things for... You know, friends, uh, other journalists. Uh, you know, he's, he's a little Charities for children. Charities for children. He's a very watching. mixed um, bag of um, chocolates. Fruit, I was going to say, but I don't know. Yeah, you eat them you at know, the crack
3: of crack. I'm pretty he, sure that's I like related. Nick. Uh,
4: when you get in one-on-one, he's actually very endearing. He's very um, shy. But he has this bipolar personality when he gets on the tennis court. Um, he doesn't love the sport. He, I think he has a fear of failure. Um, and I think that stops him a lot. Um, but he brings in numbers, you guys. Like you cannot just he you cannot take your eyes off Nick Kyrgios when he's playing a match. And that match the other day with Rafael Nadal was just it was unbelievable. I mean, he tried, he really tried, and he not a particularly big lover of Rafa, as you can as you know from things that he said in the press and he really tried and you saw how good he could be if he can put it all together I just don't know how much he wants it Um, I don't know how much he wants to be that guy every week but we should you know without the antics I've said to him I I don't care what you do on the tennis court just try all the time and if you're not going to try I have a problem with that that's the only thing I don't care about the antics the throwing the Throwing the chair on the court and the ball out of the stands and the carrying on. like a fight
3: with fan in Miami. Like, that
4: stuff doesn't truly I, I mean, I, I kind of cringe sometimes but it doesn't really bother me. I mean, I was a hothead and a nightmare on the you? court as well. Shut up. And we'll take this outside. <laughs> we already have. But, you know, I can understand the sort of juxtaposition of where he is mentally on the court sometimes. Um, but, you know, I think underneath he's just a bit lost sometimes and We need him in the sport. We just hope that he stays in the sport for a lot longer and he can get himself together.
3: I just want to add something because I think, you know, when you talk about his ratings and you talk about why certain people, not everyone, but certain people in this room are uh, obviously super excited about him. What I like about him and what I am so excited by as somebody who sort of sits adjacent to the tennis world but not totally in it having this independent magazine is just the idea that what he does and how he plays and how he sort of treats the hallowed... Ritual of the sport as something like the sort of silly and sometimes arbitrary thing that it is feels and looks a lot like other sports. He makes a ton of sense. He would as a like to do his
4: own clothing line, for example. Right. You know, he'd love to have basketball clothes out there. and right. do stuff.
3: He makes sense as a basketball player. He makes sense as a footballer. He makes sense as a as a hockey player because he's truly somebody who, you know, uh, sort of likes the jawing, likes the kind of shit talking, but also. You know, is tremendous a gift as and an I can athlete. tell you.
4: I saw him the next day, and he was not happy that he lost that match. He really, really wanted to win badly. And I mean, you know, the the conversation in the press conference about you know, did you? Why didn't you say sorry? He's like, why would I say sorry? It didn't even hit him. It didn't hit him. If you look at the replay, it actually hit Rafa's racket. He was just. I would imagine, too, when a ball comes at you that hard, it is very scary uh, as a player. Um, you don't see it come at you that often, and Nick can produce a ball like that. Sure. It's just insane. Yeah. It's insane. It's like a rocket. So, it, you know, it's sort of jarring to you, and you kind of expect someone to just go sorry, but <laughs> you not going to get a sorry from, Ruff, from Nick in that moment. So that's why he was so ticked off in the post-match interview. He's like, why would I say sorry? The guy's got a million dollars, millions and billions and millions of dollars in sure. the bank. He's got... 18 grand slams. Uh, why am I feeling sorry for him? So, I, I think mean, the
3: only thing he did wrong was not going up and following up with, like,
4: you ever been to Peg City?
3: <laughs> you have now. I mean, that's like that's. You, you wanted know. him to say that, <laughs> yeah.
4: But you know, if you look at the handshake, Rafa was way saltier in the handshake. What Nick, did it look like? Nick actually went in to give him a little bit more love, but Rafa was not having it. But you know what? I I'm, that's exactly what it was. It was just <laughs> An ignorance of you sitting there. <laughs> but you know what I loved about that? I said that was seriously mano a mano that match. It was it was old school. It was like Connors playing, you know, not not John. It was like. Connors, I guess it was like Connors and McEnroe in some respects. Yeah, they fucking each other. Yeah, and yeah. you know, Borg and McEnroe, it was just two different personalities, yeah. and I love that. I wish tennis was more like that. I wish we had more personalities that weren't afraid to show it. Last question, and then we're getting the wrap up signal. Mark is on the microphone. It's, you can ask gossipy questions as well, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Well, I'm not prepared for that, so. <laughs> um, what do you think of Tomek being fined his oh. first round winnings? I mean, did he not come through qualifying anyway?
4: way? <sighs> another polarizing Australian. Don't we love them? Um, another polarizing question as well, because some people are like, look, he played the three sets. He didn't give it his best. He might consider that he, that was just the best that he could do that day. Okay, time, time out. out.
3: Bernie Tomic, f- b- tremendously talented, very. Uh, he was fined his
4: entire first-round prize money for not giving us, not giving. Uh, it, Tanking, not giving a good enough effort uh, in his Spined
3: match. £56,000. Uh, I
4: don't so, think right? it's that much. I think it's in the 40s, £45,000. It may be $56,000, mm. which is a lot of money. But, um, yeah, I mean again it's the same thing I just try just look like you're trying if you I mean, if, if you're losing a three set match in under an hour that's there's some problems there um, and this Five, is seven. the second time now that he's done that here at Wimbledon so the eyes are on him and he has to understand that he has to understand the eyes are on him so um, you know here's but, my question why does he keep turning up? I don't know. Do you think
3: it's money, though? Do you think it's just the if appearance fees? You know, or? it was
4: a tough draw, I will say that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know why these guys do what they do. I really don't. It's <laughs> I mean, it's nothing that I can even remotely think about. I mean, if anyone ever saw me play, there was never a point that, wasn't, that I didn't try for. You know, I mean, as crazy as I was, the sport meant more to me. Winning yeah. meant more to me, you know? So I don't understand how the mentality of these guys sometimes is. And I don't know if it's just... I, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm
3: going to take this to my therapist and see what he thinks. Yeah, can you
4: ask him? Because <laughs> I don't want to pay him. He's too expensive. He's very expensive. Can we live he's in New York. very good.
3: Yeah, it's New York prices. I want to ask, answer that question. and then Oh, can. okay. Do so, you mind? Okay. So the question was, how do we get people to sort of participate in the podcast? And I think um, uh, Renee's Rolodex, her credibility, her friendships, her relationships on the tour, speak to themselves because I think she's somebody who tells it straight and... uh, is fun and jovial and and invites a sort of wide range of players and thinkers and and athletes, and that's a a total asset. I also think...
4: I tackle them, I give them a drink, and I say, if you don't do this, I'm going to do terrible things to you.
3: But I also think, um, and this ties into what we're trying to do with the magazine as well, which is, you know, I think the truest gift you can sort of give anybody is to see them and to sort of acknowledge who they are and maybe it's positive or maybe it's negative but I, I truly think that there's some you know uh privilege and sort of interesting empathy that comes with trying to truly understand people and I think athletes um are often especially in the tennis space are not often very well educated they're Some of them are very, very smart and very worldly, and some of them are very self-aware, but they're not often given a platform to be understood in any sort of meaningful way. And if you go into the press room at one of these tournaments, it'll fucking depress you, because these are people who don't leave their desks. They're people who are filing on deadline. Um, Some of them are great. Most of them are just ossified, bored, sort of antagonistic headline clickbait writers. And truly, it's depressing in there, because the sport deserves better. And, you know, that's no small reason that we started a magazine that sort of challenges the notions of what storytelling in tennis is. But I think what attracts subjects is obviously the idea of having fun and having a real relaxed conversation, but it's something we talk about all the time, which is... And this is true of the magazine in its pages as well. We're really trying to truly see people for who they are, tell the stories. Some of them are famous. Some of them are head cases. Benoit Perr is one of my favorite stories that we've done because he's a fucking lunatic. But that's interesting fodder for digestion. And the atomic question, the curious interest, all sort of speaks to the same thing, which is these are people who do spectacular things with their body on a regular basis in an incredibly entertaining way. But they're very fragile, interesting confused multitudes containing human beings and I think that to me is
4: so I'll answer this a little less uh educationally <laughs> and say my goal when I do post-match interviews um, which I've done for a number of years now and I see people in the in the locker room I, I know these players I see them in the locker room I know what they're going through I've had conversations with them about their life their ups their downs their depressing moments the hard times, the times that they've cried, why they're crying, could be a boyfriend, could be a girlfriend, could be parents, could be anything that they go through in their lives. And I think that what you see is them play tennis. You see that one-and-a-half-minute post-match interview that I may do with them or whoever does with them. And you think you know them, right? You're like, you pull for them or you hate them and it's the way they are on the court. And it's like so many players that you probably hate are probably the best people that you don't know. And it could be the ones that you love, the biggest assholes. And I can tell you many of them. Not tonight. <laughs> but um, my goal was, when I talked to Caitlin about doing this podcast, is that, I, and, and I do, do honestly say this to them when I do talk to them about wanting to do the podcast. It's 45 minutes to an hour of your life or less. Whatever you want it to be. Tell people your story. Let them know the little things about you that they'll never know about watching you play tennis and doing a one-minute clip on a TV that, you know, gets edited like you cannot imagine from ESPN. You can do a 10, 15-minute interview with somebody and it's amazing and you'll hear 30 seconds of it on a a, broad, a broadcast. Um, and then the narrative is from the editor, the music, whatever. It's not from the player. Um, so my goal with them is I want them to hear, you know, the Sam Stozer one, for example. Like... The story that she told, it gave me goosebumps when she said about Serena, uh, when Serena clapped that one shot at the US Open and she said it calmed her so much that she was able to focus and refocus on playing the match. She said, I didn't care about the crowd yelling and screaming and booing at me, but when I looked and I saw Serena clapped me, I knew that she wasn't mad at me. And I said, literally when she told that story, I got goosebumps. I'm like, oh my God, because she said, I've never really told that story to anybody. And so those are the moments that I want These players to tell me when they and ask when they're doing the podcast because you would I didn't know that I know Sam really well and um, she never told me that story she never told me the story about I want to be a party pooper tomorrow so it's like and if you haven't listened to that that episode of uh, Sam's it's really really good because those are the stories we want people to understand these people they're athletes you love them you hate them but they're human and maybe there's part of them that you actually go. That's like me, you know. So um, they're human, and they go through really tough times. And so my goal is to actually make them uh, be what I see in the locker room, or when I see them as normal people, which you don't get to see. Which is what I want you to see. I want you to hear it, and I want you to see it. So that's that's always my goal when I do when we do these.
3: And on occasion, we let them drink.
4: We do. When so
3: we, when Pam.
4: Oh, yeah. Well, I will tell you, Pam Shriver's podcast got edited big time. Um, Mainly because she called me the next day and she's like, hey, Stubbsy, uh, you know that story I told you about so-and-so? Can you cut that out? And I was like, damn it, yes. Because we do tell them. We we do edit it. And so if you... We. Caitlin. Yeah. (laughs) I do the talking. She does (laughs) the editing. (laughs) Thank God. Um, But, yeah, so Pam did call me So somewhere
3: out there exists amazing tape of we have bloopers tipsy. yeah it's amazing uh, that we be- should actually probably blackmail her so that we don't release that <laughs> it's a good one it's a good one yeah. anyway you anyway. have to take our word for it um we have to wrap this up you guys thank you, thank so, you. so so much for coming honestly we really appreciate thank it thank you for the questions um and if you happen to be at wimbledon uh in the next couple of days i'll be there tomorrow renee is here through the fortnight she'll I'm be there every day i'm playing next week so god if you are out there right Thank you, guys. Thank you again. Yeah. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim or Jerry and the team at ACAST. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers.